Hello everyone and welcome to the first official episode of Merrick Has Issues. Thank you all so much for the warm reception as things have started to happen with this project. Uh, personally, I truly am glad to be back working on Merrick Has Issues and I'm excited about the new format. Kinda sounds like some of you are too, so that's cool. If you listened to episode zero and now you're back for more, thank you. Uh, it's good to know that I didn't scare you off. And if you didn't listen to episode zero and you're just now joining me, that's cool too. Welcome. Merrick Has Issues is my personal outlet for discussing comic books, but also for talking about whatever else I want to because it's my show. I am doing this all on my lonesome, from recording to editing and mixing, distribution, promotion, it's all me. And I only kinda sorta know what I'm doing. Uh, episode zero was a great way for me to test out my process and figure out what this new routine is going to look like. And yet, I did still manage to hit some hiccups in recording this episode. So like, the first time I sat down to record, there was just too much noise going on around my apartment. Noisy trucks parked outside, people hanging out in the courtyard, and of course, my dog Irma barking at everyone who walked past the hall door. But isn't that just what apartment life is like? Then the next time I sat down at my computer, my computer was doing all of this lag for no good reason. And after like half an hour of troubleshooting, which I got through about five minutes of troubleshooting in half an hour because there was so much lag, I just, I couldn't do it. I was just too frustrated and not in the right headspace to hit that big red record button. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you really do just have to recognize your challenges as you face them because you can't prepare for everything. So just breathe and take a step back and remind yourself that it's okay. You do still know what you're doing and delays don't equal failures. I know myself well enough to know that I can record and edit on the same day, even if it's not my ideal, and that's okay. In some ways, this process does feel familiar, but it is still very new. Mistakes will happen, hiccups will interfere, and these are the kind of challenges that will just give me another way to flex my creative muscles and prove that I still got this. So yeah, thank you for listening. Hmm. Um, apart from that, hasn't been too much going on with me this past week because it has all been about podcast stuff. Um, Let's see, a few weeks ago, I did start rewatching Deadwood, just, you know, had it on in the background while I was working on the computer. I wanted to get through rewatching the series for probably the third or fourth time before HBO released their movie sequel to the original seasons of Deadwood. But I didn't quite meet that deadline, and I still have a handful of episodes left in my rewatch, but it's not like the movie is going to go anywhere. It has been pretty great to revisit the show. Um, it is some amazing bit of television. Uh, I think that Deadwood was kind of one of the earliest to really put HBO on the map in terms of production value and quality storytelling, alongside another favorite and 
also unfortunately short-lived series, Rome. Despite avid fan bases for both shows, they were just too expensive to justify more seasons. Yet that also means that they really hold up over time. So I'm thankful that they at least went back to Deadwood to give us a sequel. I don't feel like we're going to get any such thing for Rome at this point. But say lovey. And I am really excited to check out Deadwood once I finish my rewatch because I've heard nothing but good things from a lot of hardcore Deadwood fans. Oh, also, I actually did get out for a little adventure this past weekend. I went to a comic swap here in Portland called Frankenstein's Comic Book Swap. It is a great mix of people, both tabling and wandering around. And yes, it is mostly middle-aged white dudes, but you can find all sorts of stuff there. Um, let's see, vintage board games, action figures, like vintage pulp novels, t-shirts and patches, you know, really random stuff, but all kind of of that more lowbrow comic book, comic swap style of stuff. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. I really, it was my second time attending and this one was definitely much better than the one I went to in the winter that had been partly snowed out. So that was a bummer, but it comes back around. And I got great stuff last time and I got great stuff this time. So definitely check on my Instagram and Facebook for the post of my haul from Frank's Comic Swap. And you know, if nothing else, it was fun to wander around and catch up with some friends. It's always fun to dig through boxes of back issues, even if you're not going to be picking too much up. And impressively, I managed to stay within my budget. So good job, Merrick. Oh, and also impressively, I only had one guy try to explain comic books to me. It was specifically uh, that he felt the need to explain the history and source of Harley Quinn's origin story after he had asked me what women superheroes I like to read, and he didn't really recognize any of the characters that I cited. So, I don't know, what's up? Anyway, in other news, we have gotten our first look at the next Wonder Woman movie, which comes out in June 2020, and it sets our titular character in what I think was a very fine year, 1984, the year of my birth. Uh, director Patty Jenkins dropped a movie poster via Twitter last week, and you know, it looks wonderful. Yeah, I said it. I know that it's just the color palette and the shiny metal armor that they showed off on the poster, but it definitely gave me some Thor Ragnarok feelings. So I'm very curious to see what the vibe of the movie will be. And we're going to start getting more marketing for the Wonder Woman sequel later this year. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing some trailers drop for that. The comics community was also lightly shooketh this past week when it was announced that the barely established, barely established new TV show Swamp Thing has already been cancelled. Episode 2 hadn't even dropped when the cancellation news hit, yet it seemed to upset everyone, uh, despite me only knowing one or two people that had actually watched the first episode. And everything I've heard about the show has been positive, based on that one episode. 
So why the hell did it get sacked? Well, apparently it comes down to tax cuts. According to John Golson on Twitter, North Carolina had promised a $40 million tax rebate that, due to a paperwork error, they were unable to deliver. And since that was about half the budget for the show's season production costs, without that tax cut, the DC parent company Warner Brothers would be, quote, taking a bath on the rebate and paying for far more of the season than originally intended. Oops. So, yes, it is high quality, but much like HBO had originally experienced with shows like Deadwood and Rome, that quality comes at a price. DC will still be streaming the remaining episodes of season one via their proprietary online network, but I guess the cost of producing a season two just isn't going to be worth it. Uh, so I'm very curious, if you haven't started the show yet, you know, how many people won't even bother knowing that it's been canceled and there won't be a season two? If you have started watching it and you have thoughts, do let me know. I am very curious. Um, and I'll probably check it out at some point, but I mean, already going into it, it is a disappointment that we'll only have that one season. So yeah, tax cuts for corporations, always the best. Also, my final point of news this week, uh, the, I love this one, the internet seemed to lose its goddamn mind when a new trailer for the game Cyberpunk 2077 dropped, and it features everyone's favorite cyberpunk daddy, Keanu Reeves. Okay, I'm sorry. Did you forget that Keanu Reeves is, has always been, our cyberpunk action thriller lord and savior? Did you forget that? It's not like this is the first time we've had him being a cyber <laughs> being a badass in a cyberpunk dystopia. For those of us who have been paying attention, Reeves has been peak cyberpunk for literal decades, starting with Johnny Mnemonic in 1995. Then, of course, his role as Neo in the Matrix franchise, which included three, yes, three, spin-off video games, including an MMORPG. But I'm not hating. I'm just glad that all you John Wick is cool and so is Keanu noob fans are finally catching up to what has been a known fact. Keanu Reeves is an amazing, wholesome, and vibrant human being slash cyborg, and we should all be so lucky as to receive a helping hand from him. The Cyberpunk 2077 game, which I'm pretty sure has been in development since before the first John Wick movie was even released, will be coming to a PC or console near you in April 2020. Okay, so comics. The Die trade paperback came out last week on June 2nd. It is written by Kieran Gillen, who you probably know from The Wicked and the Divine and maybe even Phonogram and some other stuff that I haven't read, uh, with art on this series done by Stephanie Hans. It's die as in D-I-E, as in polyhedral dice, the kind you use for gaming, but it does also work, obviously, in the context of people might actually die. 
So Gillen's tagline for this series is Goth Jumanji, which is cute and definitely gets the point across, but it's definitely so much more than that. Die focuses on a group of teens who sit down to roll out a homemade RPG, but then they get sucked into the game and disappear from the real world for two years. When they come back, one of the players is missing an arm, the DM doesn't come back at all, and none of them can say a thing about what happened or where they've been. Like, literally cannot say anything, not even to each other, until the spell is broken. So now fast forward to a bunch of 40-somethings who have more or less moved on with their lives, and now they're being faced with the challenge of returning to that fantasy world and finishing the campaign. I only made it three issues into the first arc, so I'm looking forward to using this as an opportunity to catch up before the series resumes in August. Hans's art on the series is stupendous. It's so soft and luscious and full of jewel tones, and it actually does a wonderful job of conveying the beauty and the torment of a high fantasy world that sees real world repercussions. And I love the in-game characters' designs and costuming. I now want to look up and see if anyone's done any cosplay from this book because I think it would be really cool. Definitely, if you're a cosplayer, check out Die. It's got some great opportunities for that. Um, it's also a good book to pick up if you liked Monstrous or Rat Queens, although Die does have a lot less casual humor. Not a funny book. And it's only 10 bucks for the first volume, which is something that Image is well known for. And, you know, as fans, as readers, hard to beat a 10 buck book. Plus, <laughs> and I love this, mad scientist that he is, Gillen drafted up an actual playable RPG for the series that's based on the premise of Die. So you're not playing as one of the characters, but it's the premise of, you know, being uh, in a group of friends and setting down to play an RPG that then you get sucked into. So that's kind of the premise. Uh, so he released his own RPG for Die, uh, released it for open beta same day that the book hit the shelves. So that game, the materials are all available at diecomic.com RPG. And I'll make sure to include a link to it in the show notes on my website. Also released last Wednesday, was the trade paperback of the five-issue series Cemetery Beach, which was written by Warren Ellis with art by Jason Howard. And I really want to tell you about this book, but to be honest, I'm not sure I ever even got around to reading the first issue. Um, sorry, Warren. I do have the whole stack of them waiting, so yeah, I should probably catch up on that. And then I'll let y'all know my thoughts when I do. My, ooh, yes, my favorite single issue to come out last Wednesday was actually the only thing I had to pick up uh, that particular week, and that was Thumbs Issue 1 from Image Comics. Oh, man, you guys, I love this comic. I love it. Thanks to the advanced retailer previews, I actually got to read the first three issues before Issue 1 hit the shelves, and I just chewed them up. This book is hitting all the right spots for me. Speaking of cyberpunk, it's got cyberpunk. It's got neon pink. It's got 
an elite army of gamer kids who trained in virtual reality and who were basically raised by Alexa, and now they have to fight a militant government who has outlawed technology. Yes. It's basically what you'd get if you mashed up Neuromancer with Ender's Game and added a Neo-Tokyo aesthetic. The issues are all double-sized, which just means they're twice as thick as a standard floppy comic. There are no ads in the book, and all the singles have beautiful spot gloss covers on heavy stock paper. Yes. The single issue price does reflect that quality at $4.99 an issue, so by the end of the five issue run, that's going to be $25. Bucks. But this is a mini-series, so I think that's pretty reasonable. In fact, I'd say it's entirely worth it. Image has really upped their game lately with some of their recent books in terms of print quality, the no ads thing, and it is definitely paying off in terms of customer enjoyment. Myself and others have said the same thing. Uh, so I imagine that the trade paperback for Thumbs will end up coming closer to $20 instead of that $10 first volume. But again, it's worth it. So if you're a fan of cyberpunk culture, or maybe you just enjoy the conversation around tech addiction and the dangers of social media, I think this is definitely a book you should be picking up. It is written by Sean Lewis, art is by Hayden Sherman, and issue one just came out last Wednesday, so two should be out in early July. Then on the other end of the spectrum, a comic book I really need to talk to you about is Savage Avengers, particularly issue two, but also issue one. Okay, so this series is a hate read. I don't want to read it, but I feel so very compelled to. This series, okay, we're gonna do, do some explanation here. Savage Avengers is a follow-up to Avengers No Road Home, which I did not read because I do not care about the Avengers, but I might go back to it at some point because it's where Conan gets pulled into the main Marvel continuity. You with me? Okay, so at the end of No Road Home, Conan got sent to the Savage Land, which is full of dinosaurs and decrepit ruins and apparently Nazi cultists, instead of being sent back to the Hyborian Age where he's from. So now here we are in Savage Avengers, where a bunch of semi-bad dudes are also getting pulled into the Savage Lands because some actual bad dudes are killing people in order to summon the Marrow God. When I say semi-bad dudes, I mean like Suicide Squad. They're not good guys, but a case could be made that maybe they're not always bad guys. So issue one focused on Wolverine and Conan, which did provide some amusement via dialogue, with lines like Conan saying, Hail, Logan of Popst, your sneak blades make you a formidable foe. Okay, actually that was my favorite part of the entire first issue. But it was still basically 10 or 12 pages of who would win in a fight, followed by a bunch of foreboding cutscenes to remind you that it's still a full team-up comic. And then, you want to know what happens in issue two? Nothing. Just a whole lot of nothing. Okay, so Venom officially joins the fight, 
and Frank Castle gets magic portaled into the Savage Land, but after feeling like there really wasn't that much substance to issue one, issue two is just more of the same. And who even knows where Electra is? She's supposed to be on this team too, right? Well, who cares? Not me. Pacing like this is one of the reasons why so many comic book readers have become trade waiters who won't invest in single issues. It's because sometimes the single issues just aren't worth it. So unless you have a collecting boner for Wolverine, or you love super grim, gritty, grainy comics where nothing happens, you're probably going to be better off waiting for the trade to read this. Back to back like that, I do think it'll be a fun book. That being said, I will continue to hate read for at least a couple more issues. Honestly, just because I really want to see Punisher do bad things to these occultist Nazi fuckheads. I'll let you guys know if the series gets any better. Speaking of it being hard to justify buying single issues, Doomsday Clock issue 10 came out on May 29 from DC Comics, so that was two weeks ago, and I did pick it up. It's their mashup series that brings the Watchmen universe into main DC continuity. And, you know, from what I recall, it's pretty good. That series has been so deeply mired in publication delays that I haven't read it since issue 3, which was released at the end of January 2018. So I do barely recall what happened. But we have two issues left on the series, it wraps at issue 12, and then I'll read it. And I'm looking forward to seeing exactly how they pull this off. There were a couple of characters introduced that were very interesting to me, so going back to that series, when I can read it all and actually remember what's going on without six months delays, that'll be great. Thanks, DC. Finally, I want to talk about the first issue of a new Batman series that was also released two weeks ago. Batman Last Night on Earth from DC Black Label, which they are heralding as the last Batman story ever told. Of course, that's not entirely true. There will be more Batman comics, but you got me. This story is building off of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's run on Batman that began with The New 52, which has been lauded as one of the best Batman runs to date. Now, since we're being honest with each other, I never actually read that Batman run. It was just hard for me to commit to a Batman ongoing series when I never had really gotten into reading Batman comics at all. But it's a series that I do want to go back to, and I've got a stack of books waiting for me with Court of Owls right at the top. But that was a long run. And that's part of why I have been enjoying all of these Batman miniseries that DC's been coming out with for the past couple years. Miniseries are so low commitment, and I get to read a fun Batman story without feeling like there is really an obligation to know decades of backstory, or even just a year's worth of backstory. I can just read the book. So DC is at least getting that right. Last Night on Earth is a three-issue miniseries, but the issues are also very high-quality double issues with good paper, 
thick cover stock and they've got a nice square binding. So that means no staples. It's basically what they call the prestige format. The premise of Last Night on Earth is that Bruce Wayne breaks out of a mental asylum and finds that the world is destroyed. His only companion is the disembodied head of the Joker that he carries around with him in a jar as he sets out to find some answers. I should backtrack and say that the Joker's head is alive and talking to him. So it's not just like his head in a jar, it's the Joker whose head is in a jar. And even he doesn't know how he got there. Anyway, eventually, Bruce Wayne, Batman, does meet up with some familiar characters in his travels, uh, including Poison Ivy and Wonder Woman, who, by the way, has a mohawk, and it's great. Really hoping to see some rad cosplay from this book, of all of the characters. Uh, so yeah, then Bruce Wayne starts to uncover the truth of what's ended the world and kind of figure out what he's going to do next, what he's going to do to fix it, maybe? Um, since this is only three issues, I don't want to divulge too much more than that, even though it's really tempting because it's a really fun book to talk about. But I do think that you should give it a read yourself, even if you don't have decades of backstory on Batman and all of his stuff. Just go pick it up. It is $5.99 for each issue, but I really, I feel that this is going to be worth it because so far it is a masterfully crafted Batman story from two dudes who really know what they're talking about, know what they're drawing. Um, I will include the trailer for the book in my show notes. Uh, if you're still on the fence about picking up the book, watch the trailer. It's 30 seconds and it's basically animated panels from the actual comic book that they put together to tell the stories, tell you the premise of the book, but it's I don't know. I'm not selling the trailer. The trailer will sell you on the book, I swear, because it looks cool. So just, yeah, YouTube it. I'll post it in my notes. And hopefully we will have a collected edition of Batman The Last Night Out, <laughs> Batman The Last Night on Earth out later this year. And maybe by then I will have read all of the prior Batman books that go into it. On the way this next Wednesday, June 12th, there is a new series starting from Image Comics called Sonata. So I had the opportunity to read a preview of the first issue, and it was definitely intriguing. There are a lot of steampunk vibes, and I'm pretty sure that the whole primitive technology versus high industry is a big part of where the main conflict of the series will be coming from. Sonata is kind of a sci-fi story, but in that it throws around a lot of proprietary language and it almost focuses too much on the lingo and comes across a bit forced. Like, oh, we use this word. You might not know what it means, but it means a bale of hay or something like that. I don't know. Uh, there are, however, very cool flying dinosaur creatures, which I am a fan of. Because of that inclusion, because of the kind of jungly world setting of the story, it reminds me a bit of Dinotopia, but 
honestly, I'm not entirely sure if that's going to be enough for me to keep with the series. It also could have been the lower resolution digital copy I was reading, but I'm not sure I liked the art. There were definitely cool character designs. And like I said, steampunk design, which I know a lot of people will buy a book just because it's steampunk. But I don't know, everything on the pages seemed too textured, like, like it was digital art with a texture fill sort of a thing. And that was really distracting for me because it just felt busy. Again, could have been the low res file. Um, maybe it'll look different in print. We'll see. We'll see that on Wednesday. Other new releases include the final issue of Batman Who Laughs, which was a spinoff from the ridiculous and fun Dark Knight's metal event. That was another Batman story that I loved reading without decades of context. It was just fun and dumb and frivolous, and I think you should check that out, but it's kind of confusing. So definitely ask your local comic shop if you're not sure where to start with Dark Knight's metal. And then also Wednesday, East of West is starting its final series story arc. Um, issue 43 starts the final story arc for East of West. East of West has been one of my favorite ongoing series, even though I'm a little bit behind. Just a little, just a little. Uh, so recently I did go back and I started rereading East of West from the beginning. And it's been so good to revisit so many like panels and scenes and events where I'm like, right, that fucking happened. I fucking love that. That was so cool. It's so cool. It's such a good series. I love the art and I love recommending East of West to people that have just finished reading Saga and they're like, what's next? Um, I think it's a really strong follow-up to Saga, but your mileage may vary. And maybe I can catch up on my reread of that series in time to actually read the final arc while it's being released. So that could be cool. Yeah. Um, if there is anything else that's coming out this week that's worth checking out, I'll catch you up on it next time. But honestly, I mean, if you've been seeing my weekly polls uh, that I put pictures of on Instagram, I'm, I'm not picking up too much comics. I'm not picking up too many comics to take home, um, like maybe four or less a week. So that feels kind of weird, but my bank account doesn't hate it. Um, and it does mean that I can work on my backlog and there is always a backlog. So silver lining. Okay. So that is it for Merrick has issues. Episode one, the savage menace. Yeah, I think I'm funny. Um, if there's something that came out recently that you think I'm sleeping on, let me know. Hit me up in the comment section or wherever you're seeing this and send me a tweet or whatever with your thoughts on anything we've talked about. If you think I am wrong about Savage Avengers, well, suck it, I'm not. Okay, I'll talk to y'all online. Bye! This has been Merrick Has Issues, produced and edited by Merrick Monroe. For news and announcements and additional content, please follow the podcast online. I'm Merrick Has Issues on both Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter is MHI Podcast. I do have a contact form set up at MerrickHasIssues.com, 
So feel free to hit me up wherever if you have a question or there's a topic you want me to talk about in a future episode. The theme music for America's Issues is provided by Keelan King from his Star Pilot Remixes album. You can learn more about this podcast and find my show notes for the episode at americasissues.com.